Welcome to Light Warrior Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Karen Can, author of the number one best-selling book, Sensitivity is Your Superpower, How to Harness Your Gifts, Fulfill Your Purpose, and Create a Life of Joy. And if you happen to be a new sensitive soul visiting me, I would love to gift you my Sensitive Soul Empowerment Guide. And you can get that at sensitivesoulguide.com. And it's the three ways to navigating your way to more peace, positivity, and personal power. And would love to see you in our light medicine community as well, where we can connect, have monthly mini healings, and all that fun stuff. Now, today with me, I have a very special guest. Anna Thompson is a friend of mine and a soul sister of mine. And I heard about her amazing story about how she healed from, well, let's just say trauma related to religion. And I had a little bit of that. So I had basically abandoned um, my Catholicism, if you will. Um, I was very spiritual as a kid, but I abandoned that once my um, first boyfriend, who became a husband, told me all the horrible things the Catholic Church had done over the years, the Christian Crusades, everything. I was so shocked because I never saw that or heard that in church that I just said, I'm becoming an atheist overnight. And that's what happened. And I was traumatized, you know, why everything I learned and then it wasn't until I got really sick that I, you know, connected back with spirituality, not religion per se, but spirituality. And Hannah has this amazing story about her own journey, which I want to highlight today because it is so important. And she has a really great book, Hannah Reborn. We're going to put that link below the uh, podcast show notes so you can check out her amazing book. Um, and let me tell you a little bit more about her. So um, she was raised in Denmark love to visit Denmark one day and she was born into the Mormon church which played a big part in her awakening and that's how she met her husband she connects and talks with animals trees and plants as well as mother earth she's intuitive and an empath and a dreamer she's an interfaith minister since 2003 she's been going through a shamanic journey since her awakening in 1987 being taught by her guides and other dimensional family members she wants to help and support other people on their spiritual journey, acknowledging reincarnation, providing energy healing, consulting on healthy lifestyles, including herbal remedies, as well as help others leave organized religion if they're ready for that. Um, and depending on, you know, the severity of what's happened to them, there has been indoctrination. We know from the various different religion traumas over the years, and Hannah is a beautiful guide to help people out of that trauma into an empowering space. So without further ado, welcome Hannah. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Karen. I really appreciate being on the show. You know, it's been awesome meeting you and and I think your work that you do with Topalcan Healing, did I say that right? Topacan, but that's okay. Topacan. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I first saw your video, it was just like, wow, you know, this is what I have felt all along. And so it just was like a kinship I felt right then and there. And so it's been awesome to getting to know you better over the last, you know, many months during this year. And so I'm very happy that you would have me on the show and talk about my book. Um, I haven't really talked a lot about it. I published it back in 2010, um, but been kind of um, I am more of a private person and so a lot of the work that I've done has just been with family and close friends and mm. with nature. I do a lot of work with nature mm. like animals and, and just, you know, the earth, Mother Earth, who needs a lot of healing these days. So yes. been doing thank you so much for, for, for that work and attention from Mother Earth. I'm sure she really appreciates it and, <laughs> and uh, you know, you're, you're one of our Light Medicine community members and uh, we so, so value that kind of work. So tell us a little bit about your journey because some of it was not so pleasant. So <laughs> yeah, give, give us the rundown of what exactly happened so that you became Hannah Reborn. Right, so basically, you know, I started out very ordinary, born in Copenhagen, Denmark, raised by my parents who were the ones that converted to Mormonism in Denmark and everything seemed to be fine and dandy. and. Of course, I got older and was looking for somebody to marry. And lo and behold, suddenly one day I get a pink letter in the mail from a guy in Missouri, Ed Thompson. And I had no idea who he was. Come to find out, he's actually my ninth cousin. And we found him through Mormon genealogy, because Mormons do a lot of genealogy, as you know. You probably know, I don't know. But Not they really. do a lot of Thank you for letting <laughs> me know that. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're really into a lot of genealogy 
and that ties in with their temples. Um, all the temples that the Mormons have, they do what they call work for the dead. So just as people convert, you know, in life and get baptized, they actually baptize their dead family members. <laughs> and oh. there's a lot of people that are like, what? What do they do? Wow. Um, yeah. So anyway, so families are encouraged to look for their ancestors. And then they send all this paperwork into the temples for the work to be done for them, for them to be baptized. And it just so happened that my mom got some paperwork back that the work had been done, but it wasn't her that was the sender of this information. It was actually my husband's grandmother. So my mother and his grandmother started writing. And of course she was saying, well, I have a grandson, he's not married. And my mom was like, well, I have a daughter and she's not married. And so before I knew it, here I had a letter from an Ed Thompson, Missouri. And he invited me over, which was totally, I mean, I was like, what? Dating across the Atlantic? That's a little bit intense. Um, and so I said, yes, I don't know to this day exactly why I said yes to come, but I did. And of course, there's more details to this whole story, which is in my book, Hannah Reborn. It tells a more detailed, because uh, there was a lot of things. We only had two letters and a telegram before I left for Denmark, from Denmark. Wow. And I end up in the, which airport? I end up in New York and I land there and I'm delayed. So <laughs> I get put up in a hotel and um, I was trying to reach Ed, who wasn't my husband at the time. I was, I was gonna fly in, I believe I was flying into Chicago and then I was gonna fly down to Kansas City. And um, I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to journey. bed yeah going to sleep and suddenly the phone rings and I'm like who could be calling me at midnight in New York City turns out it was Ed's dad who had been looking for me because of course I wasn't arriving on the flight that Ed thought I was arriving on right and so he had called my parents but this was back in the day no cell phones right no, nothing, you know. Yeah, that took hard, a hard, a, a lot of investigation to figure out all that stuff. Oh, for sure, for sure. So he calls up my parents, and and says, "Well, Hannah didn't come." And of course, my parents are like, "What? <laughs> she didn't come?" Oh my goodness! And finally, they kind of track me down, and he finds me there in that hotel room, and we talk, and I'm able to tell him when I come in the next day on the flight. And so I come in the next day in Kansas City and finally meets Ed. I finally meet Ed. And, um, and there was a kinship. I just felt a kinship with him right away. Uh, although, you know, we didn't really know each other that much we, because we hadn't really written a whole lot together. Well, I had only been there five days and he proposed to me. Oh, my gosh. And he had already bought the ring. He oh, the no ring. way. Right. Yes. Oh my gosh. How does that he happen? He the ring before I arrived and then he proposes to me and I'm just, of course, going, whoo, um, I need you to come to Denmark. You know, I wanted him to come to Denmark, meet my family and see yeah. my culture that I'm very Danish. I cook Danish. I do Danish things. And he was like, oh, that's fine. That's fine. And I kept thinking maybe I could get him to not want to marry me. <laughs> but everything I said, when I said, you got to come to Denmark, he goes, oh, yeah, sure, I'll come to Denmark. So lo and behold, we've got him passports and he came with me to Denmark. And then, of course, he was only with me a week there. He went back to Missouri. We wrote for a while and then we got married about four months later um, wow. in Denmark. And then I moved to Missouri. But there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of details to this whole story. And it's all in the book because there's a lot of fun things. You know, I come to a goat farm. He was a goat herder back in Missouri. So I come to a goat farm. Here I am, a city girl. I mean, that is hilarious. I didn't know anything about farming, nothing about farming. So I just got to tell you this one story because it's kind of funny. We've been married, what, a month or so. And, you know, I like to sleep in a little bit. It's a Saturday morning, but he has to get up to milk the goats. And so he goes out and then I'm just in there kind of half sleeping, half dozing. And suddenly I hear him go, Hannah, Hannah. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, what's going on? So I run out in my nightgown 
And here he is out in by the kitchen and he goes, here, take this, clean it up and feed it. And he- It's a baby. Me. It's a slimy, bloody little goat kid. Oh. And of course it was cute, but I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I was thinking about all my towels. You know, we were newlyweds. Oh, right. <laughs> all my towels were brand new. And I'm thinking, oh. what am I going to dry it with? Oh, too So funny. he sees my shock on my face and he just goes, okay, okay, I'll take care of it. So he goes out to the bathroom and he just kind of, I don't know, wipes off the goat or whatever he does out there. He, the, he finds a bottle and feeds it. And of course, it's Aww. a cute little goat once it gets dried and fed. <laughs> but the funny thing is now we have we have goats, you know, and the little goat kids, well, now they're in the kitchen jumping around. <laughs> they need to be I taken love goats. So it's, you know, now it's not a problem. But back in those days, it was definitely a little bit of a shock, a little bit oh, of an awakening. Funny. Yeah. But, you know, that was that was part of just how we met and how we got started in Missouri. The other side of that was the whole religion thing, because mm -hmm. I was very, very into the Mormon church. I mean, I was totally absorbed, totally, totally embedded. And I found out very quickly after we got married that he wasn't quite as embedded in Mormonism as I was. And so that did cause a few, you know, um, what is it called? Butting of heads once in a while. And so, but very quickly life got going. I got pregnant, you know, we had a baby. He lost his job in Missouri. He got into the Navy. We moved to Rhode Island. Then he got stationed on an oiler in Virginia. I had my second son down there. And so life was happening to us. And so there wasn't a whole lot of time to really try and figure out about this religion that maybe we didn't quite agree on. And of course, in the process, I'm trying to get adjusted to American culture. I don't have a family close by. His family stayed in Missouri and later moved to Utah. And when he was in the Navy, he got discharged, he got honorably discharged because he didn't really belong in the Navy. He was a goat herder. What? <laughs> he wasn't very good at, you know, sucking up to the Naval officers. And so that didn't last very long. So he went back to school and we came to Utah where his family was. And he went to school here. And then uh, that was really hard, a lot of stress uh, going to school and not really having any money and two little boys to support. And then when he finally got done, he, he got a job. The first job he got was in Las Vegas, Nevada. So we moved down to Las Vegas, Nevada. And that was when life finally settled for us. Now he had a, a good job, you know, and, and we kind of got a nice house and things like that. And that was when finally, you know, we really um, had butted of heads with religion. And he got to a point where he didn't really want to be active in the church and he didn't really want to participate. And I couldn't quite figure out, you know, what was going on with him. And it was really kind of frustrating for me. You know, what is going on with my husband? And were the and, boys going to church with you? Yeah, yeah. We were going to church at the time. I mean, we were very active. And so the kids were coming to church and even Ed went to church with me. He just, you know, sat on the bench. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> not you could tell he wasn't very happy with you know going to church and mm. stuff and so I guess finally it had reached ahead and so I really want to go to the temple and there's a temple in St. George and so we were planning on going to St. George to the temple there and um, I got a babysitter for the boys and we took off and as we're in the temple and going through, I lose track of him. I don't know where he is. And I find him when I'm, once I come out of the temple, I find him out in the lobby and I say, well, what are you doing? And he goes, well, I kind of didn't really, couldn't find you. And then I didn't really want to go in. And so I just sat out here in the lobby. So I go, okay. And then he says, but I have something important to tell you. And I go, okay. So we decided to go to a park in St. George and eat our lunch. And I'm a cheese fan. I always make cheese sandwiches. So we go to the park there and I'm eating my cheese sandwich and we're just sitting there talking. And he says, okay, I got to talk to you. And this is the part that gets a little bit intense here. You know, Karen, I just want to say, <laughs> I 
because I'm sitting there eating my cheese sandwich and he says, you know, um, Heavenly Father really loves you and, uh, you know, and, and they, and I want you to know that I am, and he didn't say it that way. He just said, you're Hannah, you're Hannah of the Old Testament. And I'm just kind of going, uh, what, what wow. did you just say? Are you talking about reincarnation? And he goes, yeah, I am. And I, my food got stuck in my throat and my mouth. You know, I just could not really, um, what is it called? Um, I couldn't digest what he was saying at right. all, besides my food. Um, yeah. And so it was quite a shock to me because one thing is if people don't want to go to church, okay. One thing is if, you know, even if he had said to me, I believe in reincarnation, that would have been okay, you believe in reincarnation type of thing. But to bluntly come out and say, you are Hannah, you are the Hannah of the Old Testament, and you have yeah. been born now. Like, but, how to, yeah, I, if he wasn't really into religion, it's like, I don't have, it's like, you don't have a context for why would you even know that? Right, right. <laughs> so um, I just was, that kind of shocked me. And then, of course, he told me who he thought he was. And you're going to have to read the book to find out who he said he was. <laughs> um, that's going to be a cliffhanger there. Um, but anyway, so we end up packing up, going back to Las Vegas. I'm picking up the boys. And of course, they're bouncing little boys, bouncing into the back seat. And here I am, just can't quite figure out what's going on with my husband. You know, what, what does this mean? Does this mean it's the end of our marriage? Because if he doesn't want to be the Mormon that I wanted to be. And if he believes in this reincarnation, I didn't know how to reconcile all of that. Mm. I had a ton of questions. I said, well, well, if we can be reborn, then what, why did Jesus die on the cross? Because then you can come back and you can redo what you did wrong. Or, you know, so why do we have to baptize the dead people in the temple? Because they can just come back and get baptized themselves. You know, there was a lot of things that suddenly got going in my head and and it was just really really a hard a hard a hard time it was a really hard time and of course in the middle of all of this I get pregnant with my daughter Esther and I will and I always wondered how do people get pregnant right before they divorce each other but it you know you're trying to reconcile and however you're trying to reconcile well this time it ended in in pregnancy for us and so I'm pregnant with my daughter and she turns out to be a twin. So I actually lost her twin about 11 weeks into the pregnancy, mm -hmm. which was a little bit hard, but um, at least I didn't lose her because I was really worried I was going to lose her as well. But I didn't. I was able to go through the pregnancy with her. And as all of this is going on, I'm worried to pray because I don't really want an answer to whether it could be right or he could oh, interesting. be because that would have consequences for me. Mm. If I felt that he was right, then that would affect my relationship with my church and my parents. Mm. But if he's wrong, well, then that would affect my relationship with him and our family and being pregnant with the third child. You know, I, I wasn't, that was a really hard one for me to, try and, and grasp and put my head around but we get into about six months after and the funny thing is this all happened on 9-11 of 1987 so I had my 9-11 yeah. in 1987 when this whole revelation you know was was presented to me and so about six months later I'm in too much pain and it's too hard for me to reconcile everything because I don't understand, you know, why is God putting me in this position? And I saw it as God putting me in this position. I felt like Ed and I had been led to be together. And so why are we now in this very troublesome situation? So the next things that happened during 1988, when my daughter is born, I had never anticipated. I really didn't. And I think this is where the story really begins because had had it only been Ed talking about reincarnation, had it only been Ed saying, oh, you're Hannah reborn, 
And if that had been the end of it, we wouldn't be sitting here today. I wouldn't even have gotten to know you because I would still be a Mormon and I would probably be living in Denmark and I wouldn't be married anymore. Mm. But what happened next in 1988 is really where the story really happened, uh, begins. And that's where my life really got turned upside down because um, I started having dreams. And my first dream, I saw two women that were singing to me. And I didn't really know who that might be. So I'm talking to Ed about it. And he says, well, that is Demeter and Sapora. They're your spirit guides. And somehow it kind of felt right. You know, I thought, mm -hmm. okay, it kind of feels right. But I wasn't really sure. But it was a beautiful song. When they were singing to me in the dream, it was the most beautiful song you could ever imagine. Um, and then... I thought, okay, I got to figure this out. One way or the other, I have to find out. So I started praying in, on, in earnest. I really started praying. I said, God, you've got to help me with this because I don't know how to move through this. I don't know how to solve these issues. And of course, um, Ed talks a lot about being, he said that he had a lifetime at the time of Jesus and that he knows Jesus really well and that um, he works with, this what he calls a council jesus is part of a council and that he works with this council and i was like okay <laughs> uh, and so i'm just like well okay jesus if you're there you know if you're listening to this uh please help me so what happens is a few months later i have a dream where i see jesus and he comes to me and he embraces me mm. And I just feel this love. Yeah. And I can't describe that love. This love is unconditional. Mm -hmm. It's beyond words. And it was the kind of love that just made me realize that I'm okay. Yeah. No matter what happens, I'm okay. And yeah, and he didn't say a whole lot. You know, but he did say, I'm Jesus, to identify. It wasn't like I had to guess, or it wasn't like I was just guessing that that's who it was. He actually identified himself. And of course, later I thought, well, that was kind of weird. Why did he identify himself? You know, I mean, that would have been obvious who it was. But now that I think back on it, I realize it was a good thing he did that because else you could maybe argue it might have been somebody else or it could have been, you know, something else. And then uh, after having that dream, it was, I thought, okay, okay, maybe things will settle down. My parents came, my daughter was born, which was also a little bit miraculous um, because we lost our insurance. And so we suddenly decided to have the birth at home. I was worried about the birth. You know, my mom was going to come in. And, you know, not knowing you have a due date, but you don't know exactly when it's going to be born. And so one night in the middle of the night, I'm sitting down there, I'm crying. I'm trying to understand, you know, what's happening with my life. I feel like it's, it's falling apart and I'm having this baby and, you know, what's going to happen. And, oh, I really want her to be born a certain time. And suddenly this voice talks to me and says, well, when do you want your daughter born? I say, well, I'd really like her born on June the 30th. But, you know, a day before, a day after, that would be okay. And maybe a week before. Maybe I should have her the week earlier. And the voice goes, when do you want your baby born? And I say, June 30th then. Because my mom is coming in on June 29th. So it would work perfect if she was born on June 30th, which is actually a week before she was due. She wasn't due until July 7th. Um, so then, you know, life goes along and I'm seeing the midwife on June the 28th. The midwife checks me out and she goes, well, Hannah, you might be a week or two yet. And I go, well, that was that, you know, I don't know what spirit was thinking, but that's that. <laughs> and you didn't question what the voice was or who the voice was at the time? Well, I felt that it was this council that Ed had been talking about. Ah, okay, okay. 
Um, and then on June, I guess it's now it's June 30th, you know, June 29th, in the middle of the night, I suddenly wake up and my water breaks. Mm. And I start labor. My mom arrives later that day and neighbor had to go pick her up because of course I couldn't go to the airport <laughs> being in labor. And as soon as my mom arrives in the house, my labor sets in really seriously. And when is Esther born? She's born on June 30th. Wow, amazing. Yeah, so that was really a very, um, very strong experience for me. Yeah, absolutely. And then of course you want, I wonder, okay, what else is gonna happen? And so then time goes on and a few months later, I have another dream and this time it's uh, a woman and I know that it's Sephora. It was one of the women that came in my first dream that was singing, but this time she comes to me and I see my, my skin on my hands are peeling and she goes, yes, your life is changing. And I didn't understand what she was saying at that time because, you know, at that point, not a whole lot had changed. We were still going to church. You know, I was still married. We were still doing a lot of the same things. So not a whole lot had changed, but she was indicating your life is going to change. And then I, the month, I think it was only a month later, I had another dream. And this time uh, it was a man that came to me and he had a hood on and he came right up to my face and he looked at me right in my eyes. I saw his eyes and he said, Hannah, I am Eli. And at first I didn't understand or recognize the significance of that, but time has identified him as Elijah and he was Eli in the lifetime that I was Hannah. Mm. And so he came to me and he has taught me about uh, the temple work, so to speak, the real true temple work, which ties back to the pyramids. So in the pyramids, it wasn't just about, you know, we know now that it's not about burying the pharaohs in the pyramids, that the pyramids has an energy. Mm -hmm. Some talk about it as a vortex, you know, as an energy vortex. And that was confirmed to me that the pyramids was truly these vortexes, but you came there to go through an initiation to meet your, what you might call otherworldly family. Yeah, you know, I've gone through one of those actually with Marcus. Yeah. yeah, so um, he was teaching me the work that actually was supposed to be happening in the pyramids and they were trying to move this into temples but it never really solidified in the temples because it got um what you called it got um, distorted it got manipulated by the darker forces mm. uh, and so we've lost a lot of that mm. so even in the mormon temples they have lost a lot of that wisdom a lot of that knowledge that was that actually came through the pyramids and so Elijah was the one that was teaching me about this pyramid work and so when he looked in my eyes it was my awakening wow it um, awakened something in my soul that it just I mean yeah again it's one of those things that you experience and it's hard to explain or talk about and only about a week later, I had my next very intense dream. And this time I met Moses. And he came in a pharaoh outfit. And he has a little bit of a humor around him. So he came in this pharaoh outfit to, re to have me recognize him. And I, one question I had for him was, well, what was it about in the Bible? You know, you lived like hundreds of years back then. And he says, well, that was how it was at that time. That was our life and our experiences at that time. And that's not how it is today. Yeah, obviously it's not how it is today. <laughs> but, um, and so they were the most very strong dreams that I had, the one about Jesus and then Sephora, Elijah, and then Moses. And that was what tipped my world. Mm. Had I not had that, yeah, nothing would have changed. But I saw them 
and I felt them and it just really touched my soul and it awakened something in me that I did not have an understanding of. And because I didn't have an understanding of it, I didn't really change my life a whole lot. I just felt that God was slowly leaving my life. And the interesting thing is, it wasn't really revealed to me until today of all days, because I have felt a lot of betrayal from God through all these years. And today it suddenly hit me. The betrayal I felt was not from divine source. It was from the illusion that I had had within Mormonism and the God that I had gotten to know within Mormonism that was where I felt the betrayal. So it wasn't really divine source. It was that illusion that I had lived in that was betraying me. And of course, I had to leave that because if I hadn't, I wouldn't have learned all the things that I've learned since I left the religion. But it took me through the following year. I had some other dreams from what you might call the darkness because there definitely are some dark forces that don't want us to awaken, that doesn't want us to learn the energy healings. And so I also met them the following year. And then as I was going out of 1989, um, I really felt that they were telling me that it was my choice. I could stay in the church or I could move forward. But I'm a very curious person. I like to learn. And so I said, okay, I want to move forward. I want to learn. And so what happened was in 1990, on February 19th, that's my birthday. And it became a new birthday because I died the day before. I really experienced what you might call a death. Wow. But it was a nervous breakdown because I couldn't compute. Um, and that's where the trauma comes in. My body could not compute what I had spiritually received. And my body had a hard time computing the awakening that my soul felt, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, like, because not everybody listening may or may not be familiar with, you know, that particular religion or Hannah right. from the right. Old Testament. Right. So was there something about Mormonism or, you know, what it was that was so, quote unquote, against what you were ex personally experiencing that there's this internal conflict? Very good question. Very good question. And I guess there is because the Mormons have a prophet and the prophet is the one that receives revelations from God. Okay. And so you can receive revelations for your own personal life. But it's not really accepted, if you will, that we as ordinary people speak to Jesus or Elijah or Moses. It's just not something that is recognized. Not accepted that you could be a prophet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can't be the prophet receiving these kind of things. And I'm a woman. Ooh. Yeah. Because only the males can have the priesthood. Oh, okay. And so the males basically have the authority to speak on behalf of God or speak on behalf of Jesus. And of course, nobody has ever talked really about Moses or Elijah, but they are in counsel with Jesus. And, and I don't know how much you know about the Bible, but in the Bible, when you read about the life of Jesus, it talks about how he met Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Configuration. And he met them prior to his, or during his mission. You know, he even had some of his apostles up there on the mountain. So that was what was kind of interesting that it happened to be these three that actually came to me as well. But it wasn't just them, it was their wives because I was taught how women have as much importance as the men that women has as much right to revelation as the men do and that women has as much the priesthood as the men do Ooh, and that was definitely against your religion oh absolutely sharp okay. contrast sharp okay. sharp contrast 
And not only that, as I was, you know, getting to know these, what I now call guides, um, you know, asking them and saying, well, what about all these religions? And that was a question that the founder of Mormonism, Joseph Smith, he went to God and said, you know, there are so many religions, how do I know which one is true? And then he had a vision of Jesus Christ that told him that there wasn't any church that was true, that mm. all the churches were false, and that Joseph Smith was chosen to create this one true church. Well, when I asked the same question, I was told there is truth and love and God is in all churches, in all religions, because God loves all creation. And so um, there isn't just one path. If there was only one path, then, I mean, we would all be in trouble because how are we going to find this one path? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know if you think about how many religions there are even if it's four thousand i you know i'm a little bit of a math whiz whiz oh so, cool so i've kind of calculated a little bit on it and i go okay well if you kind of round it up and you can say well there's at least four thousand various religions and i know there's more because you got tons of different religious uh christian churches you even got different in islam I didn't know that many <laughs> yeah yeah, but when you start really looking at how many variations you have of each major religion, you come up with quite a bit. And then if you take into consideration Aborigines, right, you know, right. uh, Native American, African, Buddhism, Taoism, Confucianism, and then everybody has their own interpretation, then you come up with at least 4,000 different paths. Mm. If you are to really understand each path it would take you probably four thousand years you know <laughs> to do that yeah multiple lifetimes yeah that doesn't seem fair to me <laughs> <laughs> for some reason and, well, then and then I, and then people argue that um that you know this is what my ex-husband argued because i was a stout you know like catholic right he says there are more lives lost because of religion. You know, the wars, religious wars. And I, I didn't know. I was just really innocent. They don't talk about that at church, right? No. <laughs> like the Crusades or whatever. Um, and he's like, you, you religious people, you know, you keep fighting and saying your way is the right way and the only way. He says, that's why I'm atheist. Yeah. At least we're peaceful. <laughs> And I, and I really think that there's a lot of truth to that, that we have created this one path because as I have met others and read other stories from other religions, we each think I'm right. Mm. This is the truth, the ultimate truth. And so I suddenly was exposed to truths that was not ultimate. Right. And the other thing that happened was, like I said, as I was asking, well, which church is true? And there's truth in everything and every, even movies and books, whatever you encounter, there's truth in it. Yeah. It's not, you know, 100% true, but there's always something that's true in, in a story. And, and I got thinking about how Mormons are very strict on that they have the truth, that God came to Joseph Smith and revealed the truth. So this is uh. the ultimate truth. And I got thinking about it. And so if you start doing the math on that one, <laughs> then even if you give them a, a leeway and you say, okay, let's round up all the numbers and let's kind of look at it then they're still not reaching 1% of the Earth's population. That means at least 99% of the Earth's population are on the wrong path. Oh, I see where you're going with that. Okay. Now, is that <laughs> fair? Is that fair? Well, yeah, and then the expectation that uh, Mormonism is supposed to penetrate, you know, the middle of Australia or you know, China, or it's just seems unrealistic. Yeah. 
Yeah, it does. Very. So there was a lot of these things, questions and, wow. you know, just things that I started thinking about. And not only that, but, you know, baptisms and uh, what have you and the covenants that we do. So in the temple, it's not just baptisms. They make covenants with God. And these covenants are, well, when I was going through the temple, it's since been changed a little bit. But when I was going through the temple, you actually acted out the punishment that you would receive if you did not follow the commandments that was given to you in the temple. What? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, can you give an example? Like the covenant oh, would instance, be like a contract? Yeah, basically. So okay. basically you're supposed to be faithful to your husband and nobody else. You're not supposed to be, you know, um, you're supposed to be, uh, uh, oh, <laughs> what's it called? Um, you the can't, Mormons are not supposed to divorce. Yeah, no, that, that, that wasn't as much that as much as you're not supposed to have affairs outside of marriage. Oh, oh so okay. once you're married, it's just your partner and you shouldn't really have sex before marriage. And after marriage, you only have sex with your husband. Okay, well, similar so, to Catholicism, but the, yeah. you're not supposed to get divorced either. So, right. Um, and so, you know, you make a cut that that's one of the vows you make is that I will always be faithful to my husband. And Another the vow, husband has to make the same vow to the woman? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So they're both making the same vow to each other. Um, and then, and so if, if, uh, if you don't follow that commandment, then you make a sign for the punishment that will happen, which is basically a disembowelment. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. I don't even... How, how does that... Okay, so how old is this, or is this still happening? So this, I mean, the religion came about in 1830 through Joseph okay. Smith, and he started the temple rituals, I think, sometime in 1850s. Wow. And back this then, was actually, back then, the, the punishment was actually really viscerally shown then they kind of you know made it a little bit nicer so by the time that i was going through the temple unless somebody explained it to you you may not really have known there was just a sign that you took across your stomach or whatever and you didn't really know exactly what that meant oh. so there was a lot of signs but later you know i've i've um you can also find out that it ties into the masons the freemasons Wow. Uh, because Joseph Smith, the founder of the church, was actually a Freemason. Oh. And a lot of the men that joined the church back in those days were Freemasons. So they brought some of those rituals and symbols into the Mormon temples. But if you talk to Mormons, they're going to deny that because, of course, that's not very well looked upon. Mm. Um, and then again, things keep changing and shifting. And so depending on who you talk to, it may, you may get different versions of it. So, yeah, so if there's any Mormons out there that are listening, you know, these are my perceptions. This is my experience. And so, um, but it was intense enough that it drove, it kind of pulled me into this very strong breakdown where I just kind of thought, if this is how, if this is how it is, I don't want to live. You know, I just don't want to, I don't want to deal with this religion. I don't want to deal with these issues. I don't want to have But your family is Mormon, right? So how did you deal my with that? Well, my parents uh, were Mormon. Well, they're no longer alive, but when they were living, they were Mormons. They were active Mormons. And needless to say, they did not take it very nicely. Uh, we had a lot of arguments and a lot of discussions. Mm. And my father in particular really had a hard time with me doing what I did. Uh, my mom tried to be understanding, you know, we tried to have a relationship. And when I, the one question that I did ask my guys was, how do I heal my relationship with my parents? And they told me love, mm. that through love, I can heal it. And I felt that I felt that as I allow my parents to be who they are, yeah. and as I, you know, just love them. And Part of that love is non-judgmental, none, um, you know, you don't start, um, you know, it wasn't like I was coming back at them and saying, no, I have now found the truth. 
Right. You need to listen to me. Right. So acceptance, total acceptance. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Total Mm -hmm. acceptance. And so, but it's hard when you become the one that is then giving more than they might be giving because they weren't able to, from their point of view, I still should come back to church. I still should be a Mormon. Yeah. And so the acceptance didn't necessarily go both ways. Right. Yes. Well, a lot of us are experiencing that <laughs> with the, the COVID cult and all sorts of things, not just religious. Right. Stuff. Right. It's sort of that's, like a religion, actually. <laughs> but that's what's so interesting. You know, a lot of belief systems yeah. um, become almost a religion in some ways because we believe something so strongly that... Yeah. You know, we don't want somebody to say the opposite of what we believe, truly. Yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. That, I mean, I can imagine that to be very challenging to navigate. Yeah. And yeah. how about your boys? How did they deal with this? Like, what? how much did you so, reveal, not reveal? Yeah, so they were about... And, you, and your daughter, of course. They were, just, they were just young. You know, my daughter was, she was barely two. And so my next one was barely six and eight. They were like eight, oh, six, okay. and two when I had my breakdown. And that was very traumatic for them. My daughter doesn't really remember, but the boys do remember that day because I basically told them goodbye. I said, I will be gone by oh. night because I thought I was going to die. Wow. The pain, the pain inside was so intense. I thought I would die. Oh my God. And so I didn't eat, I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep, and I basically couldn't really function. And so, yeah, my, it was almost like my body died. And I didn't know how. So with your husband at the time, right? I mean, yeah. yeah. I meant he was there with the kids. And- yes, yes. And, and I, you know, kudos to him. He didn't know what to do, but he was sweet. And he, you know, just kind of was there, took care of the kids and did the best he could. Um, and of course, I ended up having to get on very, very strong antidepressants and anxiety meds um, and in order for me to function so that I could eat and sleep. Um, but then the other thing that happened was now these guides, both Jesus, Moses and Elijah and their wives, Sephora, Eva and Deborah, started coming in through my third eye and they started communicating with me. And that was when they taught me about love and they taught me about faith and how they're actually powers and so that by loving myself and believing in myself I would be able to heal and I would be able to rebuild my life and so they taught me energy work and they taught me some of the things that you also teach you know the light you know they they had me go within my heart and find the light or the power in there. And then I could spread it out into my whole body. And that was what helped me go to sleep. Mm. So they started telling me all these things. I had never heard about energy work before. I, you know, that's amazing. Well, yeah. and actually in my, supposedly in my modality, topic and healing, when I, you know, had my little conversation with the archangels, they said that Jesus and my former, you know, past life self were one of the, you know, personally attuned by Archangel Raphael. So I, I just think that's very interesting because I actually always had that pull and desire to heal like Jesus, you know? <laughs> so it's funny that it was like, wow, I am I going to tell that story? I don't know. I think it might be yeah. some weird, you know, I can exactly. tell you. But... Yeah, exactly. And, and it takes a little bit of, of time because we have these expectations or we have these beliefs, we have these stories And for us to come out with our story, our personal experiences can sometimes trigger or can sometimes challenge other people, their experiences. Right, right. And it takes definitely a lot of uh, courage to be truly who you are and and express your personal experience and knowing full well that people may or may not accept that. And that can be traumatic in and of itself, (laughs) unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so I, so, I, this is an offside. Okay. Just is like a weird <laughs> question, but you okay. mentioned Eva and I yeah. had always thought, not always recently thought that Jesus's wife was Mary Magdalene. So I know, I know. 
yeah, that's a whole different conversation. Um, she identified herself as Eva. I know she lived at the time of Jesus. And when I confront him and I say, what about Mary Magdalene? He tells me that it takes away from his true message. He says there's too much emphasis on who was he married to? You know, who oh. did he work with? Da, 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 da. Then you're into all this, you know, marriage and family. And he says that wasn't really my message at the time. That wasn't what he was trying to teach. And for him, he feels like that takes away from his true message and from the true, true spirit that he's trying to convey. That explains a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, it and, almost like Eva feels like the soul. Yes. Like not, yes. not the name of the person, right. but the soul. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I have since kind of also been told this story. You know how, um, let's say in our day, and we've had this happen with one of our presidents, he hugs somebody or smiles to somebody and suddenly we have a whole affair going. Um, and of course, back in the day, this is, you, you're talking, you know, 2000 years ago and Bible stories, but I also know that there are those that have channeled, you know, they have channeled energies or channeled different beings. And that has been a really huge difficulty for me because sometimes channel stuff don't all coordinate, you know, and that's something I've asked about. Why does it mm. not coordinate always? You know, sometimes details come out a little bit differently. Right. And researchers actually looking at scriptures that have been destroyed, trying to right. put together, piece together a story that we can understand. Yes, it correct. And so there are things that from the Bible side, you know, you might not be able to get it, the proof there that you want. Mm -hmm. And then you have the channelers. And what I've been told is it's a little bit like an accident. Like if you have an accident, you're going to have the view of the victim. You're mm -hmm. going to have the view of the one who hit the car, the other car. Or you're going to have the view of a spectator on this corner, a spectator on that corner. Yes, different perspective. Then you're going to have police officers that come in and they're going to have their version of what happened in the accident and how they interpreted all the factors. And so life is even more complicated than one accident on a corner. Right. And so there are literally a million interpretations, which is why you can't talk about one ultimate true religion, mm -hmm. but you can't talk about one ultimate true view, viewpoint right. either. Right. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's, that's incredible. So what kind of work do you do now in terms of, uh, oh, there goes the UPS guy. <laughs> oh, well, I'm talking. So um, <laughs> what, what kind of you know, how do you share with people? So somebody's, you know, personally going into that angst about the religion, where they are right now, they're opening into spirituality, but they're feeling either bogged down or stressed or just pulled apart with their religious beliefs. Like how, how, how can working with you potentially help them? So part of it has been what I have, what I was taught from my guides because as I went through this whole experience, I end, ended up with panic attacks for 20 years and very intense anxiety. Mm. And even as I had started out on medications, I eventually stopped it. And I was able to live without the medications for a very long time, but have, uh, again, just within the past 10 years, come back on the antidepressants just because it's a little bit easier. You know, I can't meditate 24 hours a day. And so I'm taking advantage of, you know, healthcare too, because I feel like there's a balance in everything. Um, but in, but what I want to say about that is I was taught deep breaths, how to breathe through a panic attack, how to breathe through the anxiety and how to basically work with myself. And I went into both Taoism and Buddhism and I found that seeing the moment for what it is right now can have a lot of healing in it. Like if you look at a sunset, or if you're looking, just going out into nature to be with nature, there's a lot of healing within nature. And so there's a lot of these 
things that I have learned. Um, and I've also, I actually ended up going back to school. So I was a nursing student at the time I met my husband. That's another part of the story. I was a nursing student when I met my husband, but I raised children for 10 or 11 years. Then I went back to school and I got my RN and I later went back to school even more. And now I have my nurse practitioner license. And in the course of being a nurse and working with patients, I have taught my patients how to breathe through an anxiety attack, how to breathe through the panic attack. So that's some of those physical things that happen within the body where the breath, the breath work is very important. But then I've also understood about meditation and how the mind, body, soul works together. You know, you're not just your hand or your head. You are a whole system. Mm -hmm. And so in, in teaching holistic nursing or holistic medicine, it's the whole person that you take care of. And it also involves your diet, exercise, you know, as much as people don't always want to hear that they might have to do something to help themselves. (laughs) And you've probably run into that too. You know, I've had a lot of patients come to me and they say, oh, can you just give me a pill to fix it? And it's not that easy. And even as I say that I'm taking advantage of the healthcare system and I'm on an antidepressant, I'm on a very, very low dose. So I still feel things. And so the way that I deal with it is through my diet. It is through my practice, you know, Mm -hmm. my, my personal practice, which is, I think is very, very important. And so it's some of these things that I, I feel like I have, I can offer other people. And the other thing is I really feel there's some things happening on our planet, especially after COVID hit us that has separated us even more. Mm-hmm. And there's a need for us to come together, both as healers and as people. We need to come together more in love and in understanding and with compassion, compassion for ourselves and compassion for other people. And so this is what has kind of um, finally made me go, OK, I got to <laughs> I got to, you know, kind of become a little bit more public because I want to be part of the work that's happening with the light, with positive energy, with the love that we're trying to bring into the world. And so I think part of what I feel that I'm very capable of is helping people see the positive in various things that are available and to take advantage of all the different modalities and not be afraid to mix and match and not be afraid to just say, oh, I'm only into this. This is the only thing that's gonna help because that may not be true. Uh, There may be many different modalities and I have researched and studied a lot of different healing modalities. You know, I haven't come in on all of them because there's so many. I mean, I don't know, there might even be more healing modalities than religions. Religions probably, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes people think they're like a religion, so. Well, it yeah. seems to me, Hannah, that, you know, if, if somebody is in that space where um, I, I think sometimes they, you know, when people are like, well, I want to be more holistic right. uh, and they're, but they're still using like conventional medicine therapy per se, there mm-hmm. can be sometimes a line drawn in the sand where they feel ostracized by both sides. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so what, what the beautiful thing is like you, you are a nurse. I mean, you're, you're yeah. literally like, you know, uh, just like I'm an empty, you're not, so we, yeah. we get that, that part. Right. And then, and then that's, if, if somebody's feeling like they're respected and understood by their, for their choices, even yeah. if it's not a choice necessarily, we would personally make, I think that yeah. is so healing to have yeah. that unconditional love and that compassion. And that's where it's so helpful because definitely there's some people that are like, nope, don't ever do that. And, you know, I'm not working with you if you're going to do this or, or vice versa, right? We've had doctors basically kick out patients. True, true. will not, you know, give, like, do the chemo or whatever therapy that they say they need to do. So they just kick them out. And that's very traumatic and abandoning. And then we have, you know, other times where it's the opposite, where the healer says, well, I'm not working. You, you can't do my healing modality because you've been vaxxed and your soul is gone. You know, like, you know, like, okay, right? Like, that's really hard. So it's like, it's great to have a guide who kind of has one 
foot in each that can bridge that and, and, and bring in whatever is necessary for the person's highest and greatest good and keeping love in the center of all of it. Absolutely. And I think that's maybe what I'm trying to bring forth mm. is helping people find that balance in their life yeah. between one thing and another thing and maybe help guide them into finding the right healing modality. And that said, I feel like it's the same with religion because after my breakdown and trying to heal, I actually became an interfaith minister. So I studied many, many, many religions, including the Aboriginals and the, the um, you know, Native Americans and the Africans. And I studied many of those religions and beliefs, and it was amazing. And, and I think that was when it really hit me mm. how God manifests wherever mm. you are. And so even to be able to help people through their religion, whatever that is, either maybe to just be an ear that they can talk to me about anything. Because I know after I left the Mormon church, which was kind of funny, Mormons suddenly felt safe talking to me about things. That yes, they that's, that's what I would imagine. Oh my gosh, that is so true. Because if you don't yeah. have permission and you feel like you're the only one and feel you know ostracized or separate or isolated because I have questions about the church, but no but, one's talking about it. So exactly. I'm going to keep quiet. Um, so I would be very open for those kind of discussions, too. Yeah. So if people just even want to talk about their religion and, and some of the concerns they have, you know, it as opposed to going to their minister or going to somebody else who may not right. have that background. Right. And then I do feel into energies. I'm an empath. Um, I found out I'm a very strong empath. So I had to put strong protection around me that I had to keep for quite a while until and now it's slowly coming off but I sense it like I have a really hard time with cities I have a really hard time with large crowds because yeah. I pick up right and in the beginning I didn't know what it was like I, we would go to the supermarket and suddenly I would get this cramping in my stomach and really severe pain and I'm thinking I, I know I'm okay I know it's not yeah. me we would leave the store and about five, 10 minutes later, gone, completely gone. And I slowly realized that I can pick up, I pick up some of these, you know. Your sensors are like, red alert, yeah. red alert, yeah. don't like this energy. <laughs> yeah. So, so how do people get a hold of you to, to maybe have a discussion? Right. So the best way is really to send me an email and to make an in introduction. Just tell me who you are and what you might would, would like guidance with or counseling with and then okay. we can kind of go from there okay and then what's uh you can actually go ahead and say what your email oh. is so it's hannah.reborn <laughs> so it's basically the title of my book at gmail.com so h-a-n-n-a-h dot r-e-b-o-r-n at gmail.com okay great and did you want to share about like you know, pricing or anything like that. Yeah, so um, I'm actually having a special offer. So through this month, January, um, I do free counseling. Wow. You know, to feel out where we're going, what we're doing. And then once we get further into the year, that is going to be have some price tags on it. But for right now, there's going to be some freebies. You know, mm. so take advantage of the freebies while you can. Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for your generosity. Yeah. And, uh, I, do you have any last words of wisdom for our, our late minutes and folks before we say goodbye I think, for today? I think the most important thing that I really want to reiterate is love. Mm. That love is not just a word. It's not right. just loving chocolate. It's actually a force and a power. Yeah. And once you start developing that within you, it heals. It literally heals. And I believe that most energy work happens through love. Yep. And the other power is faith. You know, we talk about believing as in a religion or having faith as in a church. But I believe it's more than that. If you didn't have faith in yourself, you couldn't get up in the morning. And I experienced that literally mm -hmm. because I lost 
faith in myself. I didn't just lose faith in my religion. I lost faith in myself. And I literally could not get out of bed the first day that I woke up with my after my breakdown. And so the faith that we develop in ourselves is a power. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much, Hannah, for being here. Thank you for, for writing me. your book and sharing. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate that so much. This was awesome. Thank you so much. It was. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And also thank you to our beautiful Light Warriors and Light Medicine community for tuning in. And remember, you can contact Hannah, hannah.reborn at gmail.com and through January 2024, um, get some complimentary coaching and and sessions just to, you know, get some help, get some support for that new year. It'd be so amazing to do that. So again, thank you, Hannah. Thank you, everyone. Until next time. Bye for now. Bye.